Amen. My goodness, that was good tonight, wasn't it? <clears throat> Y'all, they may not know it, but they are going to be back on a regular basis. And so uh, we are looking forward to that. Thank you all so much tonight. Good to see you. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to review a little bit. We began the doctrine of sin last week. But speaking of sin, some of you sinners were out in the middle of the ocean last week. Missed out on church, missed out on the things of God. Hopefully you were doing He was there. Yeah, I bet he was. Going to share Jesus with uh, those in Mexico. That makes it sound better, doesn't it? A mission trip. Going to share the love of Jesus in Mexico. We're looking at sin, finishing this up tonight. The history of the human race is a history of man and rebellion against God and of God trying to reconcile man back to himself. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Sin is not just in what we do. It is not just sin that you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. But the Word of God makes it clear that sin is much more than that. It is who we are on the inside. It is our attitude regarding the things of God. That's why when we get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. And so he says it's more so than what you do. It's more so than your actions. It even comes down to the desires of your heart. Sin is more than just simply pain and destructive. Sin is wrong in the deepest sense of the word. In a universe that is created by a perfect, just, and loving God, sin should not be. Sin is directly opposite of all that God is. It is opposite of the, the true character of God. And I will remind you that God hates sin. God hates my sin and God hates your sin. You could be in here tonight and you could pretend that God's okay with it. Just a small sin. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else at school is taking part in this. Everybody else is watching this. Everybody else is listening to this. It's really no big deal. But if you look at the Word of God, it is a big deal to God. God says, be holy as your Heavenly Father is holy. The standard is high. Culture is not the standard. The person on the pew beside you is not the standard. God is the standard. God is the one that we're to judge our life after. And he makes it clear that he hates, he is opposed to all sin. It contradicts his holiness and it contradicts who he is. Now when we get to sin, we must realize that we are seen as guilty because of the sin of Adam. Because of the sin that took place way back in Genesis 3, we are guilty. Look at Romans 5 verse 17. The Bible says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man 
and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And now get down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Though we did not yet exist, God, looking into the future and knowing that we would exist, began thinking of us as those who were guilty like Adam. You know what this verse says? It says, way back, we see the sin of Adam. And in that moment, God looked down throughout history. He looked down on all the generations that would come. He looked down and he saw all the people who would come for years and years and thousands of years. And because of the fall of Adam, we are guilty also. Because of the fall of Adam, we have sin in our life. We have the iniquity upon us. And so even when we are born, we are, we are separated from the things of God. There is sin on our, in our life, and so when God looks down upon us, he sees that very sin. Now, some may say, that's really not fair. I remind you from last week, is there anyone here who has not sinned willingly in your life? All right, nobody's raising your hand, so we've all sinned too, right? And so we have even brought it upon ourselves. But if you think it's not fair to be counted guilty by Adam, you also must believe it's not fair that we are counted righteous by Jesus Christ. Because even though we have all sinned, there's no one in here who has been truly righteous in their living. But verse 19 said this, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, but by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see, Adam represented all of mankind, and his sin comes on us. But because of the blood that was shed of Jesus Christ, when we surrender in faith to him, his blood cleanses us, and we are purified from all of our unrighteousness. And when God looks down on me as a believer or on you as a believer, he does not see your guilt or your shame any longer. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My friends, what that means, let me just make it simple. It means that we got the good end of that deal. What we deserve is hell and punishment forever. But through Jesus Christ, what we can receive, what is available to us, is eternal paradise with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at a few things just Odd and in things. Y'all, I'm having a hard time talking. Somebody put this red stuff in my water when I was sitting down there, and that is some tough stuff. I don't know if one of those students did it or, or what happened, but I wouldn't drink it either. I don't know what that is. <laughs> this leads to a few questions, and I, I want us to look at them tonight. And some of them can be a little bit hard to look at. First one I want us to look at is this. What about a child who passes away before they're able to make a decision for Christ. You understand the connection, don't you? If we are sinful, um, David said, I was born out of iniquity. There, there is sin in our life, even as, as children. You don't have to teach a, a child to sin. They just start sinning, or at least mine did. 
We have to teach them how to be obedient, not disobedient. They learn that naturally. There is sin in their life. There is a natural tendency toward sin. And so we know that even children, as God looks down, there is, there is guilt because of Adam. That is the doctrine of original sin. And so I, I don't want to belittle this, this subject because I know it is, for many, the deepest pain that you can imagine. I've not been there. Thank God I've not been there. I, I, I can't imagine the pain of, of having a child that you lost and, and thinking through this. But I want to look for a few moments at what do we know from the Bible? What does the Bible teach us concerning those who pass away before they're able to make a decision for Christ? Many believe in what is known as the age of accountability. Age of accountability means this. It means that until you reach a certain point in your maturity level, God does not hold you responsible for the sin in your life. It's a different age because kids progress at different ages. Some it might be younger, some it might be older, but there is an age in which one becomes accountable for their decisions. The problem is, with this doctrine, I, I can't tell you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's study it. Because th that's not how it is. Now, there are places in the Bible that point to it, and that's what I want to show you. But it's one of these things that we've got to just kind of look at and study together. Uh, let's look at one of them together. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. And, and my friends, this is, this is relevant. This is, this is relevant stuff that we ought to at least have an idea on what we believe on. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. In this episode, what we see is that the Israelites have come out of their Egyptian bondage. They come out of bondage, and they are making their journey towards the promised land. They're making their way to the promised land. They get right on the outskirts of the promised land, and you will remember they send the spies into the promised land. The spies go in, they look around, they, they see what they see, and they come back, and they report on what they have seen. They say, guys, it is a great land. It is an incredible land. The food in it, oh man, it is good. But there's one problem. There are huge giants in the land. And we're scared of it. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we can win. We don't know if we can be victorious. Let's just hold off. Let's just not enter that land. God had set the land up for them to take. It was their land. God had given it to them. But they were scared and they would not be obedient to God, right? This is what the Lord said. We know the Lord said, you will not enter the land, but in Deuteronomy 1.39, but said, and as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who together have no knowledge of good or evil. You see that? They have no knowledge of good. They have no knowledge of evil. They shall go in. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. He said, listen, guys, you would not be obedient. You will not enter the promised land. You're going to spend the rest of your life out walking around in the wilderness. There is punishment coming your way. But as for your children, the ones who, they're not old enough to know right from wrong. One day, they will be the ones who enter into the land that I want to give to you. And so in this passage, we see a glimpse of what we know of as the age of accountability. 
We also see, flip over again, I want you to see this, flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Because we've got to tie all this together. If, if we are sinful from birth, how do we see the eternal destiny of young children? Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Maybe you've never seen this before. But the verse says that it is, it is possible for God to save a child even before the child is born. Here in this verse, we see Gabriel talking to the parents of John the Baptist. And he comes and he says this. He says, he, talking about John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You see that? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. In other words, you might say that John the Baptist was born again even before he was born. It's an incredible verse that maybe you haven't seen before. The same is said of David in Psalm 22.10. It says, On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Again, you see the idea that even before he was born, and he goes on and he says that he was born in iniquity, but even before he was born, there is the mention of a relationship with the Lord. Now listen to me. This is not the way that it usually works. When you look in the Word of God, you see that, that we come to salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that clear. It is through Jesus Christ that salvation comes. But we see in these instances that with, with children, with, with these little ones, God can do something special. One more I want to show you, and that's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, let me find that, would you? 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now let me set this up. You'll remember this, very well-known passage. David has just committed some big sins in his life. Big sins, we'll get on that in a minute. Remember he was out, and the Bible says he was out at a time that kings go to war, but David stayed at the palace. And he's up on the, the rooftop of his palace. He looks over. He sees a woman. She's naked. She is bathing on her housetop. That's how they bathe. They would have these containers of water. The sun would warm the water up. They would go up and they would bathe. Most houses were the same level, so you couldn't see your neighbor. But the palace, of course, was taller. And so the palace you could see quite a bit further. And so David sees Bathsheba. He begins to lust over Bathsheba. He has Bathsheba brought to his palace and he sleeps with Bathsheba. Bathsheba is a, a married woman, so he commits adultery. Then he sends her back home. Later he finds out that she is now pregnant. This is a problem. He begins to try to cover up what he did. He is unsuccessful in covering up his sin, and so it ends with him killing her husband, Uriah the Hittite. They send Uriah to battle, all the other troops back up. He's alone by himself trying to fight, and the enemy comes and kills Uriah. And so in this moment, you see just the sin circling all around David. Part of his punishment is that he loses his child. Let me read it to you, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. It says, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted, and he went in. Let's see. And David fasted 
David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do harm to himself. But when David saw that his servants were whispering that the child was dead, and David said to the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And then David arose from the earth, he washed and anointed himself, he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. Now look at verse 23, verse 22. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. It's an incredible passage. We see the child is alive and David is a broken man. We can understand that. Even if we have not been through it, we can understand that he is a broken, broken man. He, he won't even eat. He won't get up. He's fasting. He is weeping. It's just a, a time of, of desperation. But then he, he finds out the child has died, and all of a sudden the Bible implies there's a peace in his life. He gets up. He gets up and he begins to go back to normal. And the people say, what's going on? You were, you were a desperate man when the child was alive, but now he's dead and you have a peace. Where does this peace come from? And he said, I can't bring the child back to me, but I will go to the child. He had confidence that he would be with this child that he loved so much one day in heaven. That's all it's got to point to is in heaven. That's where he will see the child again. And so he has this assurance, he has this, this beautiful picture that this is not the end of it. I will see this baby of mine again one day. I tell you, if, if I was a parent that had been through this, that would be a beautiful verse to me. That would be a beautiful verse that I would circle, I would highlight, and I would just live it up in my heart. To say, I know the pain, but I know that this is not the end. Now, like I said, we don't, we don't get all the details. We don't see it all. There are some who believe differently. I'll give you those just real quickly just for you to, you to know. We've looked at, there are some who believe in infant baptism. And so they'll take a, a little child and they will baptize them as quickly as possible. Do you know why? They believe that by baptism, a child will be saved. Only problem with that is it's not biblical, right? That's a big problem. Find it in the Bible. Show that to me. I don't believe you'll find it. We looked about a year ago, I guess, and we looked at Calvinism. Calvinism believes there are two types of people. There are the elect and the non-elect. If you're the elect, good for you. If you're not the elect, that's not good for you. And so they will say if the child is the elect, they go to heaven. If they're not, they don't. There are some who believe that out of God's omniscience, God knows all things. And so God knows if a child would have accepted the Lord as Savior or if the child wouldn't have. And so in God's knowledge, he knows what would have happened, what would not have happened, and the decision is made based upon that. The most common view is the one we've been talking about ever since the 17th century, and that is the view that all infants will inherit the kingdom of God. 
There's many times in the Bible that you see that the kingdom of God is made mentioned by the children, the faith of a, a child. Miss Jan in her prayer was talking about how we should believe like children. I mean, you, you see children, they just believe. There's just a faith that goes with it. Mark 10, 14 it says, but when Jesus saw it, he was angry. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belong to the kingdom of God. Let the children come to me, for they belong to the kingdom of God. This is where the idea of the age of accountability comes into play. These children are not held responsible because they could not make a decision concerning Christ. Isaiah 7, it speaks of those who refuse evil and choose good. It's talking again about this age to where you come and you understand right from wrong. The last view that I know of is a view that says when every child passes away, they go to heaven. And then there comes what they call evangelism after death. And so they say a child will grow in heaven until there comes a point that they are explained the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, they will be able to receive it or to deny it, and that is when they will choose their destiny. Now, here, here's what I will I'll tell you. I believe when you look in the Word of God, you see the character of God. When you look in the Bible, I believe it's clear that the Lord genuinely desires to offer salvation to all. I believe the Bible teaches that. There may be ways that we don't understand it. We don't get just the whole doctrine painted out. I'm showing you what, what I can find, but we don't get the whole picture of it. But based upon the goodness of God and the fact that he desires to offer salvation to all, I can just trust God in that. Does that make sense? I can just trust God that his plan is better than any plan that we can even imagine. I can trust God that if you're here and you've lost a child or you've lost a grandchild or you've lost somebody that you love that was that young of an age and you love them so much with all of your heart, I, I just know the Bible teaches that God loves that individual even more than you do. And so I trust that God will work through all of that. What, what do I believe? I believe the Bible teaches from what we've seen that with the little ones, they're in heaven and we will see them again. And we can rejoice in that. We can cling to that. Does that make sense? Everybody with me on that one? I know that can be, that's a serious topic. It can be a very emotional topic. But I believe the Bible gives assurance and gives joy in the midst of this, of this sorrow. All right, let's keep going then. Next, next question I want to look at concerning sin, are there degrees of sin? Are there various degrees of sin? We talk about a big sin or a little sin. Are there different degrees of sin? Number one, I'll say this. In terms of our legal standing before God, any one sin is the same as any big sin. Any sin makes us legally guilty before God and therefore worthy of eternal punishment. Doesn't matter if it's a big sin that we call it or if it's a little sin. If you want to see that, you see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. In Genesis 2, we see where Adam and Eve learned that in the garden, God said, there is one tree you must not eat out of, and if you eat out of that tree, it will result in the penalty of death. And now, if we're talking 
about big sins or little sins, in my mind, I'm thinking going to eat some fruit is probably on the small side. Right? You following me? I'm thinking there's a whole lot worse things that we could do than eating from the wrong tree in disobedience. But we are still paying the price from that small sin. And so it doesn't matter, my friends, if it's something big in your life that we call big or if it's something small in your life, sin separates us from God. Sin makes us liable to judgment. However, in the results of life, in the relationship that we have with God, there are sins that have much larger consequences than others. Let me show you some examples of this. Look up John 19, 11. My goodness, where did the time go? Look up John 19, 11 quickly. John 19, 11. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, and he makes an interesting statement. John 19, verse 11. He says, he who delivered me to you has the, what does it say? The greater sin. Now, all of a sudden, we see the word, the greater sin. He's talking to Pontius Pilate, and he's saying, you're about to hand over an innocent man for judgment. There is sin in that, amen? But he says, but the other one, he has made a greater sin. He has made a larger sin. He's referring to Judas. Judas is the man who has known Jesus for all this time. Judas is the man who has slept beside Jesus. He has seen the power of Jesus. He has seen the miracles of Jesus. He has seen the workings of Jesus day after day after day after day, but yet he still traded him over. He says that is the one who has committed the greater sin. Matthew 5, we see the same language. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes and one of the least of these commandments. Again, you see the word least. There's obviously great commandments and least commandments. Matthew 23, 23. He is talking to the Pharisees, and it's good that they tithe off of everything they've got. They tithe out of their garden. They tithe out of their money. They tithe on everything. But Jesus says the problem is the weightier matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faith, you've neglected. Now, you see the word weightier? All of a sudden, that means bigger, right? It means larger. It means there's more to it. And so there are these different levels, if you want to call it such. That's what the Bible teaches. We see in the Bible in Leviticus 5.17, we see that there are unintentional sins. It says, if anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. And so you sin, you didn't know you sinned, but you still have iniquity on your life. Now you contrast that to intentional sin, that's in Numbers 15, 30. But the person who does anything with a, a high hand, the Bible says, they know it. They're willingly given in to sin. Whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. There's a difference. There's a difference in an intentional sin and an unintentional sin. The consequences are different. Let me give you an example. Let's say tonight um, Mr. Childress has a new convertible car. And let's say tonight that I'm a little jealous of that car. I'd like to have that convertible and have the wind going through my hair. That sounds nice. And so let's just say I'm a little jealous of it. That's one thing, right? 
But let's say I'm a little jealous of it, and tonight after church, I run up and I push him down. I take his keys, I get in the car, and I speed off down the highway. The consequences are going to be different, aren't they? They're going to be larger. There's going to be a higher price to pay. Such is the way with sin. The Bible also teaches that those in a leadership position will be judged with greater strictness. That's in James chapter 3, verse 1. Let's say one of you, tonight, you get upset, you go out in the parking lot, and you get in a fight with someone. It's pretty serious. Let's say Brother Charles tonight gets upset, he goes into the parking lot, and he gets in a fight with someone. The Bible says that he will be judged more strictly because he's the pastor of this church. Those of us in leadership, maybe you're a, a teacher, maybe you're in the, the music team, whatever it is, there's a strictness in the judgment that comes with that. We've got to finish. What happens when a Christian sins? Let's close with this. When a Christian sins, many of us here on a Sunday night, we know that we're saved. When a Christian sins, our legal standing before God is unchanged. When we sin, the Lord still looks upon us and he still sees the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed from all sin that we have committed, that we are committing, and that we will ever commit. That is how great the blood of Jesus Christ is. But listen to me. When we sin, our fellowship with God is damaged. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that when we sin, the Lord is saddened? That's the word he uses, grieved. It means there's a sadness. There's a picture of weeping if you want to. When you're grieved, you are tore up on the inside over something. And in your life and in my life, when we give in to sin, and I believe when we do it, especially if we do it over and over and over, and we do it intentionally, it breaks the heart of God. I'm not just, that's what the Bible says. It says it breaks the heart of God. Isaiah 59, it says, your iniquities have separated you from God. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're living in sin, you're getting further and further away from God. You cannot honor him. I believe you cannot be, be used for the kingdom of God when you're living in sin and you're getting separated and separated and separated and separated. You can still play the games. You can still play the hypocrite. You can still look religious, but there's a difference to it. When a Christian sins, it leads to, to discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll close with this. When a, a believer sins, we lose heavenly reward. 1 Corinthians 3 says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built up on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through the fire. I believe there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of believers who are going to get to heaven, but they're going to get to heaven smelling like smoke. Everything they did in life will be burned up. They lived for their own kingdom, they lived in sin, and everything that they did is going to be burned up through the fire. 
If they have a genuine relationship, they will get through. But there will be no rewards for it. I want you to think about it in your life as we close. Go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head. God hates sin. Sin makes you ineffective for the work of his kingdom. Sin stunts you. Sin sin separates you from God. Sin steals the joy of your salvation. I wonder if there's a sin in your life that you've been hanging on to. One of their sin in your life that nobody else knows about it. Nobody knows you struggle with it. But you just keep on going back to it, back to it, back to it. What if there's a sin in your life that you're justifying? It's okay. It's, it's no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. But inside your heart, you know that God is not pleased with it. You know that it's not bringing him honor or glory. But, but you keep justifying it. It's no big deal. I wonder if tonight you'd leave it here. I wonder if you'd leave it here and say, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to honor you in every way. I want to honor you. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be used for your kingdom. I want to enter paradise. I want to enter heaven, and I want to have rewards. I don't want to get in just through the smoke. I want my life to count. If you want your life to count, you must see sin the way that God sees sin, and God hates it. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the the time, God. Lord, I pray that as a church, we will see sin the way that you see it. God, I pray that it will break our hearts. I pray even in this moment, God, and I know there's some that that brought sin into this place, and I pray that right now you you will prick our hearts. You will show us the ways that we're failing you. You'll show us what needs to change, God, and I pray that we will have the courage, the strength, the dedication to make the changes that we need to. Lord, it's in Jesus' name, amen.